Welcome to the Village Church Podcast. Thanks for stopping by and taking the time to listen. We've prayed that this podcast channel blesses and encourages the Village family. So lean in with an open heart, eager to grow, and enjoy the episode. Morning. Nice to see you all. And uh, yeah, wonderful theme that came through this morning. I say wonderful because it was of God. And it may not be wonderful in your situation or circumstance, feeling hard-pressed, maybe feeling overwhelmed, going through troubles, trials, as we've heard. But uh, certainly, God wants to encourage all of us this morning, and particularly those who may be going through some tough times. Um, just, yeah, one of the encouragements was, or is from um, 2 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul himself was going through some really tough times. And uh, one particular situation, and we're not exactly sure what, he wa- what it was, what he was going through, but it tells us that he pleaded with the Lord three times to take away this thing, what often is referred to as his thorn in the flesh, this thing that was just kind of digging at him and hurting him and um, getting in the way. Three times he pleaded, but God had another thing that God wanted to do. And uh, God's response to, to Paul was, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And what was Paul's response to that? He says, therefore, as a result of that understanding and that truth, I will boast all the more gladly about my weaknesses, eh? about my insults, hardships, persecutions, whatever it is that I'm facing. Why? Because when I'm weak, then I'm strong. When I'm weak in myself, realizing I have nowhere else to go but to God, that's when I become strong. And uh, I just felt like for you, that might be true this morning. Allow his grace to be sufficient, more than sufficient for you in your situation. Let him carry you by his grace. And it's in that place of weakness that you can boast about God's strength, God's provision, God's leading, God's help whatever it may be, because when you're weak, you think and you acknowledge you cannot do this. I've nowhere to go. Unless you pitch, Lord, I'm down the tubes. You know how many times I've said that in my life? And God's always come through, huh? because I'm still here. <laughs> and so, yeah, just an encouragement. Huh? All right. So nothing about what I'm going to be sharing this morning. But uh, so if you do have your Bibles, it'd be great if you could turn with me, please. As Mitch said, to the book of Ephesians. And uh, again, just a reminder of where we're going in terms of our preaching series. For those of you who've been around for the last while, you would have known we did a preaching series entitled Christ Complete, which was our attempt to give a fuller and more complete picture of our Lord Jesus Christ as we looked at who he is, um, what he's called us to that came through those great I am statements. You remember that from the book of John? Well, this preaching series is entitled Church Complete. And again, it's an opportunity for us to give a fuller and a more complete picture, not so much of Christ, because we've done that, but now of his church, of what the church is, who the church is, what it's made up of, what it looks like. And so that's what we're hoping to do over the next number of weeks. And we've already started that series. But before I get to where we've been and where we're going, you know, when I talk about being the church, I'm sure it conjures up a whole lot of thoughts within you of what the church is, 
what the church looks like, what it should look like. And it's okay to have grandeur ideas of the church because scripture gives them. But equally to say that there is no perfect church out there. And you may have arrived here this morning hoping that this is the perfect church. Well, I have to say from the moment you arrived, it became imperfect. (laughs) Why? Because it's made up of imperfect people. And the greatest of those are standing before you this morning. Just ask my wife. And so often we have these grand ideas of what the church should be. And then we can be quite critical of the church. Well, this is what the church is, but hey, this is what it should be, needs to be. And so what's wrong with you? No, actually, what's wrong with me? What's wrong with all of us? Because we do need to get back to a biblical pattern of what the church is. And so this is the series of Church Complete. As we look at the different facets of the church. But before we look at that, let me ask you or let me tell you what the church is not. Because I think it's easier sometimes to determine what it's not than what it is. eh? And so here's a few thoughts in terms of what the church isn't. It's not an organization. It's not a social club. It's not a networking hub where you kind of try and do a bit of business on a Sunday. It's not an entertainment center. May I even say it's not a preaching center, although preaching of the word is an important part of what we do. It's certainly not a spiritual supermarket where you get to pick and choose what you as the consumer want. And I'm sure there's a whole lot of other things of what the church isn't. So what is it then? Well, scripture gives us a number of metaphors or pictures of the church that help us to see the different facets or the different faces of the church, which when put together, give us a broader view and understanding of the church in terms of its mission, its message, its mandate, its ministry, its modus operandi. You can see I'm enjoying the M's here. And a whole lot of other things. If we can just understand what those pictures or those metaphors that that God's word uses around the church. And that's what this series is about. All right. And so the metaphors that we're going to be looking at all come through out of the book of Ephesians. And it's interesting to note when you look at the book of Ephesians, that the first half of the book, in other words, chapters one, two, and three, is all about our position in Christ, who we are in Christ and what we need to know. The second half of the book, chapters four, five, and six, is about our practice in Christ. In other words, what we to do as believers, as the church. Very interesting. You go and look at it. Our position, first half, followed by practice. But we need to know and understand both. Because unless we understand our position, we'll never be able to practice correctly. And if we're only practicing out of an understanding of who we are, man, we, 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 we're putting the cart before the horse. All right. So what have we looked at so far? Hopefully you've been around for these. Otherwise, you're going to have to play a little bit of catch up. But uh, the first week, Gordon was here. Hopefully you were here to hear about the church being God's workmanship, his masterpiece, his work of art, the church, the people that God has prepared incredible works for. Do you remember that? Last week, we had Brennan here who spoke about the church as God's household. 
And so this morning now, we're going to look at the third picture, and that is the church as the body of Christ. And uh, as Mitch has said, we're going to, all of these come out of Ephesians, but we're going to look specifically at Ephesians chapter 4. So I did ask you to get your Bibles out or your pens or your notebooks. Sometimes I think it's easier to follow that, but if you haven't come prepared, it is up behind me, and I am reading it from the New Inspired Version. No, just joking. The New International Version, the, the NRV, the Nearly Inspired Version. All right, there we go. Okay, so we're going to read the first 16 verses, and then we're gonna, I'm going to give you five aspects of what this body can and should look like, and, uh, and then hopefully it's some, just again, tools in the belt, arrows in the quiver for us to be able to be and live as the church that God's called us to. So here we go. Let's read from verse 1, Ephesians chapter 4. And of course, Paul, he's writing to the church in Ephesus, and he says, As a prisoner of the Lord, then, I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. The calling you have received. In other words, the call to salvation. Notice received, not achieved. None of us can achieve this. None of us can save ourselves. None of us can do enough to earn salvation. It's impossible. And that's why he uses this word strategically that you've received as a gift from God. Be completely humble and gentle. Here's some of the practice that we spoke about. What our our position is, we called. We become new creations in Christ. Now, he says, be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body. That's our focus this morning, this word body. And one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. A few alls there, huh? But to each one of us, grace has been given as Christ apportioned it. This is why it says, when he ascended on high, he took many captives and gave gifts to his people. Paul's quoting Psalm 68, verse 18 there. And then in brackets, it says, what does he ascended mean except that he also descended to the lower earthly regions? He who descended is the very one who ascended higher than all the heavens in order to fill the whole universe. So Christ himself gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the pastors and teachers to do what? To equip his people, God's people, for works of service. So that, here's the reason, so that the body of Christ, who's the body of Christ? You and I, the church, may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith and in the knowledge of the Son of God and become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Then, as a result of this, we will no longer be infants, babes in Christ, tossed to and fro by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. 
Instead, speaking the truth in love, we will grow up to become in every respect, what? The mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, the head, Christ, the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. What an amazing passage of scripture, huh? To me, it's probably one of the richest, fullest passages that, I don't want to say that I've read because I guess it's very subjective. But this is an amazing passage of scripture with so many truths just oozing out of it. And so when we look at our English word body, and we notice that I highlighted it up on the screen there numerous times, I went to my Greek app, which helps me to work out what these words are. And I went to this word body, and on each occasion, the Greek word for it is the word soma, S-O-M-A which if you read in the, in the Greek translation, it's a metaphor for a number of persons united by a common bond. In other words, a definition or a metaphor of a number of persons united by a common bond. Amazing truth in that. A number of persons, like we see here this morning, united, not just being fellow parishioners, not just occasionally greeting each other on a Sunday and ignoring each other in the week, but united and with a common bond. What's the common bond? Jesus. If it wasn't for him, I wouldn't be here this morning. I wouldn't know you. But he is what unites us. He is the common bond, the common thread that allows us to be part of a local church. That is his workmanship, yep. That is the building or the household of God, yes. But is also the body of Christ. And so when we look at this word body, we can't just skim over it. We can't just treat it lightly. No, it's a powerful and profound picture, analogy, metaphor of what the church is. And so in the New Testament, this word soma is a picture of the church being a spiritual body of Christ. And so what my physical body is to me, the church is to Jesus Christ. Amazing, eh? Did you get that? (laughs) That's what Paul's communicating here. To repeat that again, what my physical body is to me, what you're seeing, the church is to Jesus Christ. May not be physical, but spiritual, made up of physical beings. eh? All right, I'm laboring it because it's important we grasp this word and this metaphor of the body. Okay, so what does this body comprise of? How should it look? What is it made up of? How does it function? I think those are all good questions. And so we see from this passage that we've just read in Ephesians 4, that there are a number of aspects that God wants us to adopt, that he wants us to grow up into when it comes to his body. And as I've said, there are five that I've pulled out of this text. And so let's look at those. Number one, 
He wants us to grow in our understanding of our identity. Part of being the body of Christ is having an identity. And we read that in verse one, where we challenge to live a life worthy of the calling that we've received. And so in Christ, we receive a new identity. Being joined to Christ makes us different people. No longer are we sinners, we now become saints. That's our new identity. We become priests, part of a priesthood, the priesthood of all believers. We become disciples. We become believers. We become Christians, Christ followers, just to mention a few. In other words, our, our identity changes. In 2 Corinthians 5.17, Paul clearly helps us understand that when he tells us that in Christ, and here's the key in Christ, outside of Christ, nothing changes. But in Christ, us accepting Christ, us being adopted into his family, the Bible tells us that we become new creations. Some translations say new creatures. Those with a new identity where the old goes and the new comes. That's who we become. And so if that is true, well, then can I say the challenge then for us is to live up to that calling and to that new identity that we've received in Christ. And that's what Paul's going into, the practice. He's saying, now live up to these things. I'm reminded of a story of Alexander the Great. Ever heard of him? Powerful king, conqueror in his day and age. But there was one thing Alexander the Great hated, and that was cowardice. He was a mighty warrior, but he took exception to anyone who would run from the battle. And there was one occasion where the Alexander the Great and the army were fighting a battle, and they, and they weren't doing particularly well, and the enemy had pushed them back. But as they managed to, to break new ground again, they found one of their fellow soldiers hiding in a cave. And they brought the soldier before Alexander the Great and he fell on his knees before him. And Alexander the Great looked at this young man and said, boy, what is your name? And the man in great trepidation and fear looked up and said, it's Alexander, sir. And Alexander the Great looked at him and he said, boy, I said, what is your name? And he said, Alexander, sir. And the third time he said, what is your name? And he said, it's Alexander, sir. He said to the boy, well, either change your name or change your conduct. And you know, it's so true for us as well as believers. Eh? If we're gonna call ourselves Christ followers, then we best be following Christ. And if our conduct indicates anything other than that, either we change our name from Christian or we change our conduct. And we begin to live and serve as God wants us to. Amazing little illustration that had. But a profound truth. Live up to the calling that you've received. And if you're not willing to live up to it, may I suggest change your name? <laughs> but actually, it would be a whole lot better just to change your conduct. And so... The thing in this first point of identity is that we don't only identify then with the head, Jesus, but we also have to identify with his body, the church. 
And that's exactly what happens in water baptism. Hey? Because when we go under the waters of baptism, we're baptized into Christ, but we're also baptized into his body. You can't have one without the other. And that's the wonderful truth. In 1 Corinthians 12, 13, Paul writes and he says, for we were all baptized by one spirit so as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slave or free, we were all given the one spirit to drink. And so our identity is that we are now baptized or we are incorporated into Christ's body. And his body is part of our identity. I want to say it again, you cannot just identify with the head and say, I want nothing to do with the body. You can't say, I love Jesus, but I have no time for his church. The two go hand in hand. If you love Jesus, you have to love his body. As imperfect as it is, as challenging as it is, as different as it is. As much as some in his body rub you up the wrong way. The call is if you love him, you've got to love those around you. If you're baptized into him, you're baptized into his church. And that is your identity. And if you want nothing to do with the church or if you treat the church as, as something kind of there, then you've missed what it means to be baptized and incorporated into the body. All right, that was the first one, our identity. Hopefully we'll get through the next a, few, a little quicker. Eh? Let's keep an eye on that clock. Eh? Secondly, we want to grow in our unity as the body of Christ. Yes, it's important we have identity. It's important we live up to that identity so we don't have to change our name, but let's rather change our conduct. But then also our unity. How does God want us to grow in this area of unity? And we see it here in verse three, when he says, make every effort, not some effort, not partial effort, make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Now it's important to note that we don't create unity. That's God's prerogative. That's his initiative. That's his working. But what we are called to do is to keep that unity, to maintain that unity to do everything we can to guard the unity that God has created, to promote unity, to do everything we can to work towards unity. That's the challenge that we're given in Scripture. In fact, in verse 12, we see how the fivefold ministry gifts are given. Why? So that the body of Christ may be built up until we all reach unity in the faith. Yes, unity in our doctrine, unity in our belief, but also unity of heart and purpose as we live out our faith. Remembering that where there is unity, it's there that God commands his blessing. Eh? Psalm 133. In Romans chapter 15, verse five, Paul writes and he says, may God give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. And so if Paul had to pray for that for the Romans, that the unity would begin to grow and be developed in them, then let me tell you, it's something we need to be praying for, but equally something we need to give ourselves to and make every effort to God and to keep and to work on. 
Because I've come to realize unity, and I'm talking the biblical kind of unity, doesn't just come naturally. Eh? Why? Because we're just so different. Different upbringings, different cultures, different genders. <laughs> we are different. Bottom line. And that's why it doesn't come naturally. And because of that, it means we then have to press into God for it, and we've got to press into each other for it so that it can be outworked. Because at the end of the day, it's a non-negotiable in God's economy. It's not something we can decide on. It's not something we can say, well, I'll have unity with Mitch, but I won't have it with Angus. No. It's one. And I say it's important and it's part of God's economy because being united with Christ necessitates that we're united with one another. Bottom line. You can't have one without the other. This is how John puts it in 1 John 4.20. He says, whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister. In other words, is not committed to unity is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother or sister, again, the issue of unity whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must, not should or could, must love their brother and sister. In other words, must do everything they can to keep the unity of the spirit. Now, these are some strong words here. But I'm so grateful I'm not saying them. This is scripture speaking And so we are called to build up the body of Christ, never to break it down. And unity builds up. Disunity destroys. And God wants us to take this seriously, that we would do everything we can to promote unity. Because God is committed to unity. God expects unity of heart and of purpose. So let's get on God's page. eh? So that's the second picture we see of the body or the the second ingredient or aspect that is so important to us being the body. Yes, our identity, absolutely. Identifying with the head and the body. And then secondly, unity. Now flowing out of unity is the third one and it's pretty close but different and that is oneness. And uh, if you read here in verse four, it reminds us that there is One body, one spirit, one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all. In other words, oneness. eh? Oneness is important. In Romans 15, 5, we read it already, but let's keep reading where it says, may God give you a spirit of unity among yourselves as you follow Christ Jesus. Here's why. So that with one heart and mouth. Notice that one heart. Not many hearts, not different hearts. One mouth, you may glorify the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. And here's the thing, when we do things with one heart, and when we speak with one voice, you know what? That's when the body of Christ becomes effective. eh? That's when the world begins to listen and take note that these guys are standing as one. They're not diverse, they're not doing different things, they're not saying one thing and Another one saying another thing. No, speak with one voice, live with one heart. It goes a long way. And so oneness is not only about getting along with each other. It certainly includes that. 
But it's also about working together in achieving everything that God has purposed and what he's called us to. Amos 3.3, it says, how can two walk together except they be agreed? Except they be one in spirit and purpose. eh? And so there is this call to oneness. Why? Because there is only one body of Christ. One body of Christ. The village church is part of that body. The Anglican church next door is part of that body. The Baptist church up or down the road is part of that body. There is only one body. Yes, there may be many members in that body, which scripture talks about, and we'll get to that. But there is one body. It's the body of Christ. And in Galatians 3 verse 28, Paul helps us understand that when he says there is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female, evangelical or Pentecostal, reformed or charismatic, orthodox or messianic, or, 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 for you are all one in Christ. Please hear that. One in Christ. And yes, the truth is at times we may see things differently. Huh? From, to other believers, other churches, other groups, other denominations, whoever it is. But can I say, let's not allow our differences to divide us or to separate us. Now, of course, I'm not talking about the fundamentals of the faith. Those are non-negotiable. Huh? But I'm talking about what Paul refers to as disputable matters in Romans chapter 14, of opinions. It doesn't really matter at the end of the day. But sometimes we hold our opinions or our opinions become our prejudices. Or we think we've got the full revelation, the full answer on everything. You know what? We don't. Just like you don't. We can all learn from each other. God wants to remind us of this thing of oneness. We're one body. Again, I want to say oneness is not necessarily sameness. Because there can be oneness in difference and in diversity. But if we're in Christ, then we are one. The one and only body of Christ. It's what Jesus prayed for in John 17. That the believers may be one as he and the Father are one. Do you know what? If Jesus prayed that, then can I say it must be important. eh? And if it's important, then we need to do everything we can to come into agreement with that prayer. To make every effort to work towards oneness. Amen. How are you doing? Number four. Fourth thing we see that in this passage is... God wanting to develop maturity within his body, the church. That's the fourth point, maturity. Because God's intention is for his body, the church, to become mature, attaining to the whole measure of the fullness of Christ. Or as another translation says, until we measure up to Christ, who is the standard. God's committed to that. God wants that for every one of us. And here's the reason. We keep reading Ephesians 4, 13 and 14. So that you will not remain as spiritual infants, tossed to and fro by the waves and blown here and there by every wind of teaching, 
by cunning and deceitful people. But the point is God wants his body to grow up into Christ who is the head. That's his intention. And not to remain as spiritual babes in Christ. eh? In other words, those who are always needing to be pampered and to be mollycoddled. Fine when we spiritual babies. When we get born again, we are as baby as they come, and we need people to mother us and to pamper us and, and to take care of all our needs and to wipe our noses and everything else. But there comes a time where God expects us to grow up and become mature, to become more like Jesus. And this is the very thing that the Hebrew believers were chastised for. And if you read it in Hebrews chapter 5, the writer, whoever that was, we're not sure, in verse 12 to 14, he writes, he says, By now, church, you yourselves ought to be teachers. Been around long enough, you've heard enough, you've sat under preach after preach after preach. By now, you should be teaching these things. But, sadly, he says, you're still needing someone to teach you. And not just teach you, but teach you the elementary truths, the basics, the things that you should have got right long ago. Still teaching the elementary truths of God's word all over again. He says, you believers, you need milk still, not solid food. And anyone who lives on milk, being still an infant, is not acquainted with the teaching about righteousness. But solid food is for the mature who by constant use have trained themselves to distinguish good from evil. And then he goes on to say, leave the elementary things and move on. Move on from those things and go on to maturity. That's the challenge. And friends, I want to say it's the challenge to you and I today. If you are still where you were a week ago, a month ago, a year ago, 10 years ago, then you are just like these Hebrews that the writer's challenging. Scripture challenging, not me, not Mark. I'm not angry, eh? <laughs> this is truth. This is a challenge for me as much as it is for you. And so let me ask you, what are some of the things that you're putting in place or maybe you're needing to put in place so that you can move on, that you can progress from spiritual milk to solid food, where you can go on from being a spiritual infant to someone who is now mature and complete, not lacking anything, as James 1.4 says. I think that's a, a good question to ask. Eh? Are you putting anything in place? Are you maybe spending a little bit more time reading God's word because you want to grow? Are you spending more time praying because you know it's good for my communion and my relationship with God? What are you putting in place? In your own personal life as well as in your day-to-day things, the people you interact with? What happens here on on a Sunday? Now, I know each of those things will be different for us. I understand that. But the question is still valid. And I want to challenge you to go away and think about it. What are some of the things you need to put in place 
so that you can move on and grow up and become everything that God wants for you to be. But let me also say there are some things that will certainly handicap your growth and your maturity. Things that will keep you on a milk diet as a believer. Things like consumerism, complacency, comfort, convenience, compromise, few C's there, hey? wrong priorities, disobedience, sin. Those things will retard your spiritual growth. And so the call is to throw those things off. Eh? In fact, we're told to throw off anything and everything that hinders, including the sin that so easily entangles. Why? So that you can run your race with perseverance. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse one. God is committed to you and I growing up. You know, when you tell a child or, or an adolescent or whatever, grow up, it can be like a real insult, eh? Now, I think God would say that, but he would say it in a different tone, in a different way. He would say, Greg, it's time to grow up, boy, because I have so much for you, so much for you to walk into. Don't miss out because you're happy to remain on spiritual milk. I'm not having a goat, Greg. He's just the first guy I looked at there. But I'd be saying that to myself. You'd be saying that to me as well. Don't miss out. It's time to grow up. And then lastly, in our participation, where the members of Christ's body are functioning and working together to achieve his perfect will and purpose, to achieve all that he's called this, this church, the church too, in every way. It's where we read here in verse 15, where the whole body, joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love. Here's the key, as each part does its work. Each part participating in its work. And that's why the mission of the church, the calling of the church cannot be left to the, to the minority, to a small minority to fulfill. No, God wants all hands on deck. God is looking for every part of his body to find its place, to take its place, and then to play its part in doing and achieving what God has for the church. Not just for your life, but for the church, for those around you. In fact, Paul devotes nearly a whole chapter to this theme in 1 Corinthians 12 of there being one body, but many parts. Not a part, not a few parts, many parts. And he uses the analogy, the metaphors of different human parts, the eye, the ear, whatever it may be, to, un to get us to understand how every part, yes, of my body plays a part. This finger that I keep waving plays a part when I preach. No. Every part. And without some of those parts, the body cannot function as well as it could. I lost a small part of my thumb, part of this body. Let me tell you, this whole body didn't function very well while this was being healed. And thankfully, I didn't lose too much, so I can still grab things. 
But imagine losing the whole thumb. It's gonna affect the body, yeah? Even losing your little toe apparently affects your balance. I'm, so I'm told. Someone losing their hearing in one ear affects how they operate, etc., etc., etc. But here's the thing about the body and the different parts is that when one part is not playing their part, the whole body suffers. And it suffers not only internally in terms of our relationships and our, our commitment and, and, and just our support for each other. But it also suffers externally in terms of our effectiveness and our fruitfulness as a local church. The reality is there is work to be done. Eh? We're not just here to sit on a chair on a Sunday and hear someone behind this pulpit giving some thoughts or advice. This is to equip you to go and do the works of the ministry, of works of service as we've already, as we've already read. But there is work to be done. And Jesus tells us in John 9 verse 4 that as long as it is day, we must do the work of him who sent me, he says. Night is coming when no one can work. And so while it is day, while we have opportunity, can I say be willing and be available to participate in whatever God asks you to do, whatever part he wants you to play, whatever gap he wants you to fill, whatever that may mean, whatever that looks like. Be like Isaiah and say, here am I, Lord. Use me, send me, do with me as you want. I'm willing, I'm available. I want to participate in your great plan, in the great purpose that you have for, not just for my life, but for the church and what you want to do through the church, not only in the church, but also through the church. Eh? Whatever it may be, we no task, no request is too big, too inconvenient or too beneath you. But I'm available, Lord, please use me. And so Paul chose the metaphor of the body to show what the church can look like and how it should function when it comes to our identity and us identifying with the body, when it comes to unity, when it comes to oneness, when it comes to maturity, and also when it comes to participation, us participating in and with the body of Christ. And I say it all because the church is still God's plan A in him doing and achieving everything that he wants to do. He's chosen to work with his church, his body. What Jesus was able to do when he walked that, the earth is now what we call to do as we walk in his footsteps, as we represent him as his body here on earth. And as such, he wants us knitted in to that which is most precious and most sacred to him, his body. That's this metaphor that Paul uses here. And in this wonderful 16 verses that we've just read, these five areas I think are absolutely key. And I wanna ask that you would take those things on board. Understanding not just your identity, but living up to that identity and to that calling. Oh, doing everything you can to keep unity going. 
which means then I don't gossip about someone in the church because that breaks unity. I don't speak behind their back. I don't get grumpy even though we do get grumpy. I don't do it intentionally anyway. I'm careful that I don't come across harsh because that's not building towards unity. Again, we're not perfect. We mess up. But oh, let me speak of the church as being one. eh? Not to look down on others who may not have the revelation I have, who may not see things like I see it. I can still fellowship with people who believe in infant baptism, even though I hold to believers' baptism. I can still fellowship with the Anglican pastor who believes that and practices that. Because for me, it's not a thing to divide or separate. But if he starts to, or whoever it may be, starts to declare that, that, that Jesus didn't come from, the, wasn't a, born out of a virgin or didn't come from heaven, then I'd say, whoa, hang on. We, we're not going to be able to walk together. Some fundamentals here we can't agree on. But everything else, I want to say, we are one body. Let's celebrate each other. And then maturity, eh? Wow. Quite a challenge, eh? <laughs> I won't use Greg as an example again. He's had his turn. But to me, one of the saddest things to see is adults who are still babies because of a deformity or whatever. Tragic. Very, very sad. But what about on a spiritual level? People who've walked with God for years and years and years and yet are still babes in Christ. I think it must so hurt the Father's heart. eh? And then what about our participation? eh? I still think there are too few doing too much when God wants everyone involved, everyone serving, everyone's hand to the plow, everyone's shoulder to the wheel. Everyone's saying, where can I get involved? What do you need? How can I fit in? Need someone to make coffee? Yep, teach me, I'll do it. Want to come early to welcome people as they come in? Yep, I'll do that if you need someone. Need someone to come and pray before the meeting? Nine o'clock? Yep, I can do that. It's all about being. It's all about participation and being available. Should we pray? Challenged? (laughs) I'm challenged. I'm challenged. So Father, we sit before you as those who are challenged, but not challenged by a man. I ask that we would be challenged by your Holy Spirit. Challenged by what it is that you're revealing. What it is that you're saying to each of us individually this morning. And I know for each of us, Lord, there'll be different things. Maybe in even these five areas, we may be doing well in two or three or four. But what about that fifth one? What about that area? What about that thing? And this morning, Lord, we, we don't want to just carry on as per usual. But Lord, we want to pause. And we want to do business with you. And we want to say whatever it is that you would want to address in our lives so that we can become more of the body that you've shown us in your word, then we want to respond to your leading and your directing. 
And so whatever that may look like, Lord, we ask that you would put your finger on issues in our lives that we need to address and that we'd be willing to lay them before you and say, Father, help me in this area where I have not been faithful in keeping the unity of the faith, unity in the church, then today I repent of that. And I say, oh God, won't you help me? Won't you help me? Where I haven't been strategic and intentional about growing up and becoming more mature, then today, Lord, I wanna put things in place that would help me and enable me to do that. Where I've thought that it can be the few who do all the work, and I've been quite happy to, to hold back. Lord, today I want to say, how can I be used more effectively in your service and in your church? And so, Father, we commit ourselves to you. And we say, Lord, let from today, let us view your church differently. Let us have a greater understanding and appreciation of the body of Christ. And how we are many members that make up this body. And that we would be faithful and available to participate in your body. Help us, we pray, in Jesus' name. Amen.